Hello and welcome to Drinks and Thinks, the podcast where I talk to my friends over a couple of drinks about various philosophical topics. With me today on the show is Murray Dare, someone who I've known for at least five years now, and we have shared a room for a large proportion of that, wouldn't you say, Murray? Yep, it's been yeah, too long to remember. So tell everyone just a little bit about yourself. Right, yeah. So I'm a resident music snob at CH, or I was anyway. Yeah, I joined, uh, joined the school with Connor. Connor had already been there for two years. I joined in year nine. Uh, we shared a room for a few years. We've kind of with each other in terms of just being in the same house and obviously gone through the rugby system together, which was obviously massively enjoyable for the pair of us. Uh, but yeah, I've, I'm sort of here for the, the musical side of things. I'm quite keen on my music. I'm going to study in September. Uh, yeah, that's about all you need to know about me, really. I was talking to um, Aaron, obviously, in, in episode two about rugby as well and just how, uh, how much of a bonding experience that can be for everyone. Absolutely. Well, you know, you go through a lot in a season. I mean, you know, you look back to depths with the Nat West Cup. I mean, that was that went far beyond the end of the season. And, you know, travelling up to Somerset or whatnot, you know. Yeah, yeah, very true. A lot, a lot, a lot going on. Yeah, loads, loads going on. And it, it kind of it feels like a bit of a, a sort of chunk has been missing, really, since, you know, being being at home in lockdown has been really sort of isolating i mean you know that's kind of the point of it but it's been well difficult not not seeing anybody and not doing any you know team sports like that how do you feel well obviously it's it's been a rough one uh but actually there has been kind of an uplift because uh, just a few weeks ago the local club have started opening up with the training again uh it's all you know no physical contact and you know all that and you've got to wash your hands every 20 seconds but you know the fact of the matter is we're out playing again, so we can only be grateful for that, really. <laughs> yeah, got to wash your hands every time you touch the ball, sanitise it, all of that. <laughs> well, it feels like that, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, like you say, it, it, I'm sure it's, it's great to get back to it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to starting again come September, hopefully. Well, yeah. So tell me, I don't, I don't know, does Guildhall have a rugby club? Uh, no, no. The best, the best they've got is a football team, but I don't somehow think I'll fit in there. Uh, you yeah. sure? Not even after well, your four years at Chelsea Academy, was it? Well, you know, that was ultimately all bullshit. So you know, no worries. Wow, that's a tough time to break it to me. I'm not going to lie; I didn't see that one. Yeah, no. I thought I'd fooled people in LA. <laughs> Um, anyway, so like you say, you're you're going to study um, obviously music at you know a, a very high level, higher than most people I know would ever think about studying music. What do you think it's it's like actually you know sitting down and and studying music? You know everybody, pretty much that I know, I don't think there's a single person who doesn't listen to music in one form or another. What's the actual sort of academic study of it really like? In terms of what you do, it's understanding what are the technical things which, to people's ear, sound nice. So when someone hears a piece of music and they think, oh, this makes me feel a certain way, what about what they are playing makes you feel that way? And how can I best replicate it? 
that's kind of that's how I would put it in sort of simple terms. It's just the technical side to the emotions, how you can portray feelings, because anyone can, you know, sit down and, and play a chord. You know, if you just say pray these three keys on a keyboard, but what do you do with that chord in order to make it feel a certain way or sit within a piece in a certain way? That is where the study of music comes in. And obviously, as well as that, you've got ensemble things which you'll do, which is how you then apply those technical things into a, a setting with other musicians who have other ideas. So that's kind of, yeah, the basics of studying music, really. Right. So it's, it's, um, it's studying how we can you know, use these devices to pluck at the heartstrings or to um, do any other number of things and recreate any other number of emotions that you might want to as a musician. Mm, yeah. And also you're trying to find a way of doing something new, which obviously as time goes on and people come up with more and more things gets harder and harder. Mm. But again, it all goes back to that study of the technical side of things and, and what actually goes into the emotion of music. Yeah. Like I, I spoke to Amy um, not long ago about her sort of um, art in the sort of more broad sense, you know, painting and that kind of thing. Uh, and we were talking then about, the use of new things and how important that is to to sort of breaking the, um, the the conventions and the traditions of art in order to, to you know push the boundaries create something new do you think the mm. same applies in music do you think that's as important as it is in in other kinds of art in terms of say the use of new things to push it forwards yeah just doing doing something different in order to to make a splash um not necessarily i think it certainly is you know music has progressed massively and that's down to to new things coming into play but at the same time a big thing and i'm sure this happens in the art world as well but another thing that you can do to make a big splash is to fuse different types of music so you don't necessarily have to come up with a new idea but if you can see two ideas that people never thought would go together and you find that they work particularly well then you know you've got a new thing so i suppose it's new but in the way it's also not because it's completely familiar you you see evidence of the completely new the sort of the really surreal composers in sort of the late 20th century with things like you know a piece where you feed a keyboard uh, straw and water and it'll either choose to eat the straw and drink the water in which case you have a performance or it won't, and the audience have wasted money on their seats. You know, that was I'm part sorry. of push... But yeah, that was part... <laughs> sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just confused. Is, is this some sort of is it a gimmick? Is it... Uh... No, no, it was, it was all part of this movement of pushing what, uh, what actually makes music. And I'm sure this is going to be a topic which we're going to talk about. But these guys... You know, there's things like there was a piece called I can't remember if it's like Symphony or Sonata for Table and Chairs. Yes. Where the instruction is to literally have a wooden floor and run around scraping chairs along the floor. And the noise that that makes counts as a piece. Right. But th here's the thing, right? You can, you know, I could I could go out and I could get some tables and chairs and I could push them around a room. But as, if I don't, you know, if I don't have the intention of creating that piece and I don't have the uh, sort of. Um, knowledge of that piece and the instructions on how to 
successfully create it. Am I recreating Sonata for tables and chairs, or am I just pushing some chairs and tables around? Like, I'm sorry, I, I, <laughs> like a. That wasn't very PC of you, Connor. Bloody hell! Redact that. Yeah, good idea. Uh, well, I think my personal view is that if you were to do that and it were to simulate what you would hear if you went to pay and see quote unquote musicians doing that, I think you are recreating it. You're recreating it unknowingly. It's kind of the same scenario of, you know, the whole thing of if you have a load of chimpanzees and you give them all typewriters, eventually they'll write you the complete works of Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that they're writing Shakespeare, but they are. Here's another uh, question. Isn't, is, isn't the understanding of art an important part of creating it? You know, I spoke to, about this with Amy, about how realistically anything could be art if you intended it for it to be art. But you need to understand first your meaning and what art is. Is it not the same with music that you need to really understand the music that you're trying to create in order to create? Well, I, I see it like this. If you so say, uh, I'm sorry, I've got to, got to word this right here. I'm not, I don't nearly have the academic capacity to keep up with a lot of this, so you'll have to excuse me if I'm a bit slow. You're, you're doing yourself an injustice there, Murray. I'm sure you can keep Well, so the thing is, the way I see it is it's like, even if you don't have the intention, if someone hears it and then takes inspiration from it, then I, I sort of see it as, uh, in a way, the art, because it's played a major part in, in playing the art. It's like a lot of these, you know, super musicians with you know musical brains that we could never dream of people like you know jacob collier chick Corea, these really really heavy musicians mm -hmm. they hear things just in the world around them that influence their music they don't necessarily have to be musical it could just be the wind rustling and that all of a sudden sparks this idea for a new piece i think it's very much it's kind of the same if it fuels the arts then i think it certainly has a role to play but as to whether it's part of the art, ooh, yeah, that's a tricky one. Right. It's, it's, it's difficult to say. You know, we kind of have to um, or we kind of want to to say that an artist, that art requires an artist. Uh, and like you say, I, I, you know, I was going to bring this up uh, later, but this is a perfect time for it. Is, is this kind of stuff that, that Jacob Collier and Chick Corea hear and take inspiration from? You know, the sound of, uh, like you say, rushing wind or a bus or a bicycle or running water is that kind of stuff just inspiration is it just you know sound or can it given you know the right setting the right circumstance can it become music does it require a musician hmm well i, I see what you're getting out there so in terms of like with the sound of the bicycle would the rider be considered a musician right exactly and the bicycle an instrument right well i think you see, here's, here's, here's the difference, is with what they're doing and turning it into music and turning it into, you know, common tonality, I think there, there does have to be an element of, there has to be an, an instrument. But in terms of naturally, like, uh, occurring sounds which influence the music, I don't think that there necessarily is a musician. I think that's, I think my conclusion is, is that it's not art the inspiration doesn't have to be art, but turning it into art requires the artist. 
Right, so that probably yeah. seems super com- common sense, but no, no, I think I think I mean it makes a lot of sense, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone really really say it, you know. And I think that mm. to, to to word it exactly as you have, that you know, like you say, we've got this sort of uh, raw material of sound, as it were. You know, sound can come in all shapes and sizes, as it were. Um, mm. It does ultimately take a master craftsman to take this raw material, this lump of clay and turn it into something more than just the banging of pots and pans, you know? Mm. Um, And I suppose what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, of course, the inspiration that these guys find, it isn't necessarily music, but coming back round to your um, monkeys at a typewriter example, given the um, infinite number of monkeys that the universe represents, is there not some chance that somewhere out there in the vast, vast universe, at some point, the running of water or the igniting of hydrogen or the reacting of anything on any planet in the middle of nowhere, is there not a chance that those things all line up precisely to create tone and pitch and rhythm and timbre and all of that kind of stuff to create music? Is there not a chance of that? Well, I think in terms of it all lining up and creating sound, we can observe that on Earth today. Mm-hmm. You know, just never mind in the whole wide universe. I think we get tone and we get things like that because, like, you know, when you hit two pieces of metal together, unknowingly, it's going to have a vibration. But obviously that can occur naturally as well. If a tree falls, it's going to, you know, it rubbing against the floor as it falls is going to have a vibration, which is going to equate to a pitch ultimately. Mm-hmm. So I think that that happens, but I think it's just a case of the artist seeing it and being able to take inspiration from it. I think, like I say, it's still very bare bones. I think to say that, I think what you're kind of getting at is that somewhere there's a possibility that this perfect, I don't know, chord would amount from from a river running next to uh, a, a forest. Is that what you're getting at? Right, something something along those lines, sure. Yeah, I think... It's, pers- it's certainly reasonable to suggest that because obviously the, the size of the universe is, you know, we can't comprehend it really. Yeah. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to suspect that that would happen. However, I don't know that it, would take, some, it would take someone to be there to turn it into art, I, you know. Okay. Does it, the, here's a, here's um, an interesting question that I'd like to ask. Is that person, the witness there, is that... Does it need to be a musician? Does it need to be somebody who takes inspiration from that, goes away and creates something with man-made instruments that sort of drew from this natural occurrence, but is not that natural occurrence? Or does it just take a listener to sit by the stream and hear the music? Does that turn it into music? Does that turn it into art? Well, I suppose at that point, it becomes about how they're interpreting it. Mm -hmm. So in terms of if they're looking at it and thinking ah, this just is relaxing, then it's, I don't think they're necessarily seeing it as music because that in that instance, it's the same as not thinking about, oh, what's this, what's the harmony like in this piece? What's, what's the, what are the chord movements doing? Instead, it's how does this make me feel? It's the same like that. I think that you can listen, but you don't turn it into the, the art necessarily. I think the experience and the art are two different things, in my opinion. 
Yeah, no, that, that, makes, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I guess it kind of leads on to another question. If we had, um, say, an orchestra of robots, right? <laughs> this is getting awfully philosophical now. We're oh, making here up, we go. Yeah. We're making up crazy thought experiments that would never even ch chance to occur. But say we had an orchestra of robots who can't experience language but can play um, Bach to uh, an astounding degree. Mm. And, they, and there's not a single human, dog, rat, insect alive in this range of this, uh, this piece. You know, there's no one in the auditorium or whatever to hear it. Is that music? Does it, what I'm asking basically is if a tree falls and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? More does this orchestra make music without a listener? So we're talking about listeners. So, hmm. right, no listeners, and also you know I kind of rigged it in saying no, no players either. You know these are just machines. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, that's an interesting one. Hmm. Yeah, let me let me have a, let me have a quick think about that one. I'll have to have a sip of my drink while I think. Hint, hint. We'll we'll get onto exactly what that is in a moment. Certainly will. Um. Yeah, I don't, I think the difference is, I don't think, no, 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 seriously, there is a difference. I think that it is, hmm, I think a lot of it, you have to, because of the nature of music, there has to be listeners in order for it to be music. Or at least players, right? Because, you know, in the same... Yeah, because the players can hear themselves playing it. So there's still that, that, that living satisfaction of, of hearing it and feeling a certain emotion. But if there's no emotion involved in any form, which clearly there isn't, then it can't be music because there's nothing. It's, it's purely just the production of sound. Okay. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you've um, sort of drawn that distinction between, between music and sound there. Uh, and I think uh, an interesting place to to leave that, and for me to ask you another question, which is a bit more abstract and philosophical, really. Uh, oh, and it may be hard for our, our listeners to imagine more abstract than a room full of robots playing bark. But nonetheless, um, songs, right? That, yeah, you know, yeah. um, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Can you can you point to that for me? Can you show me where Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen is? I can show you the scene in the film where they make it, but that's exactly. about as close as you'll get. Huh? Or I, you... Could point, I could point at a record that will play it for you. Right, exactly. So this is the thing. We don't know or we can't say where a song is or what a song is. You know, we can say mm. you can hear the song by playing it on a, on a vinyl or listening to it through your MP3 player or even seeing it live. But here's the question, are those all Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen? What if Queen doesn't play it? What if all but Queen's, all of Queen's there, but not Freddie Mercury singing it? You know, here's the, the, the sort of ontological question of the song. Where does it exist? I don't know that this is necessarily an issue of where it exists. Well, I mean, well, it is an issue of where it exists and we, I'm sure, feel free to send me back that way. But what you said about is it still Bohemian Rhapsody if all but if all of Queen but Freddie Mercury is there? Mm -hmm. I would say that what my argument, my, my response would be, well, what do you call a cover band? 
Right, exactly. And um, but but this is the, another question: is when a cover band plays Bohemian Rhapsody, is it still Bohemian Rhapsody? Granted, it's not being played by Queen at that point in time, but anybody hearing it could still recognise it as Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm, yeah, I think again, this is this is the thing where where the craft comes into it, because there is. There's, there, is, there is more to it than just production of sound to Bohemian Rhapsody. There is the guitar solo, which comprises of a certain set of notes. There is the opening sort of uh, vocal harmony, which comprises of specific notes put together. You know, it isn't just sound. It is a very specific collection of sounds in a specific order. I think that's the difference, is that there's a craft of taking the sound together to make this piece. And if that's replicated to sort of varying degrees of sort of being one-to-one perfect, then I would say, yeah, it's still Bohemian Rhapsody because there's that craft element to it and the craft of the music is still the same. So as long as the, as long as the notes and the uh, sort of, if, as long as everything's played right, it's still Bohemian Rhapsody. But not necessarily, because you could play, you say the guitarist uh, had a few too many drinks before he went out. And, mm. you know, he plays a brief outline of the solo, but, you know, nothing perfect. A lot of wrong notes, a lot of slides that weren't meant to be there. Uh, yeah. But yet the rest of the band is bang on and the other sections are exactly like the record. That's still, to me, Bohemian Rhapsody, even though there is that that difference between the production of sounds used on the record and what this cover band are playing. I think the, the, the debate comes to where do you draw the line? And for me, I don't think we'll ever be able to reach an answer. Right. That, that's ex- exactly where I was going with it was a wrong note. And then where do you draw the line? Because, you know, if we had a, a, a robot or something listening to them play it live and one of them played a wrong note, the robot would say, no, this doesn't match Bohemian Rhapsody as on the record, therefore not Bohemian Rhapsody. But any human there could recognize it easily then, then the question comes you know what if i'm if i'm humming it to myself while i'm waiting for the bus and someone picks up and it says oh, oh that's bohemian rhapsody isn't it you see they've they've recognized it i i'd agree yes it's bohemian rhapsody so you know what's what's the deal there because i may not be singing it correctly i may not even be singing in the right time or anything like that but if mm. else recognizes it does that still make it the same thing I think, again, the craft is there. You're taking the elements and you're taking, although not necessarily, you know, although they're not necessarily, you know, the exact same as the record, you're taking those sets of, of, of sounds and in a way that forms this melody that someone recognises. So for me, yeah, it's still, it's still Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a very bare-boned, not full version, but it's still Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. So to a certain extent there, we're sort of um, once again emphasising the importance of the listener in the role of music. Absolutely. Great. Great. Um, so just to, to briefly um, bring it a bit more full, full circle to, to philosophy once again, um, more than just this sort of musical discussion. Um, yep. Plato specifically um, talks about types and tokens. And his sort of argument around music, at least, um, is that music or songs are a type. So there's the type Bohemian Rhapsody. I stumbled a bit on my words there. Bohemian Rhapsody. That's a <laughs> <Clean> <laughs> drinking. 
surprisingly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody is a type. And any time in which you hear Bohemian Rhapsody is a token of that type. So when I see it live, when I listen to it on my phone, on a vinyl, when I hear someone humming it at the bus stop, that's a type, that's a token of the type Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think that kind of sums it up quite well. Um, he sort of goes a bit nuts with um, his theory of the forms and bringing it all together and saying that uh, these songs exist on some metaphysical level, which I'm not sure that we need to bring into it, but nonetheless. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's uh, quite a good way of, of looking at it in spite of that. Um, you know, the, th the fact that there are sort of these general holotypes of Bohemian Rhapsody or any other song, and we can see the tokens wherever we go as long as we, uh, we the listener, can identify it. Murray, you are going on to study, I believe, a course somewhat related to jazz. Am I right? It's very much related to jazz. I'm on the jazz, jazz course at Guildhall, studying jazz bass specifically. Well, I'm glad so, that you like jazz. I do indeed, to quote one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> I might not go that far. But <laughs> um, and I thought, since we're talking about music, and it might be interesting to bring in a little jazz in the shank of the evening, uh, we've gone for rather jazz age drinks. Uh, I've got a whiskey highball. I don't know about you, Murray. Well, I was going to go for a whiskey highball, but unfortunately, the soda was has disappeared. So unfortunately, it's just been whiskey for me. I mean, you know, whiskey's whiskey. That's a good enough. Well, it, it, really. it does the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Warms your cockles, as Arthur might say. <laughs> Certainly does. I've found actually that happens to me quite a lot. You know, you're looking for something, and just when you're looking for it, it just disappears. There is there is always an element of that. I'm not I'm not sure whether it's just been a lockdown thing for me. The fact that you know we're always at home, so I, I've been seeing stuff around my house a lot. I've been seeing you know, oh, there's my water bottle, there's my phone, whatever, and then the moment I come to look for it, it's just gone. I don't know about you. I I found very I found that a lot. I found it with masks especially. Oh, face masks are a nightmare. Yes, because because uh, we've got these sort of. Uh, my godmother actually made them, so they're they're reusable, sort of made by her. But obviously, that means we don't have a massive bag that we just pick out of. But it means that I'll get in and I'll sit down somewhere around the house, take my, my mask out of my pocket or off my face, put it on the side, and. I'll go to, out to the shops and it's just gone. And I, I don't know where it is for the life of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This kind of thing happens to me all the time. It's so frustrating because you have to spend then extra time looking for it. And you're like, oh, I'm going to be late, whatever. I'm going to miss the shops. It just... Annoying. I found personally, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same in any other household. And I'm not trying to shoot any shots here. But for me, in my household, a certain parent likes to quote-unquote tidy up by which i mean they just move things somewhere else <laughs> and it is yep. a nightmare because i cannot find anything when i need to it's just disappeared to some random corner of my room well thankfully they don't go as far as my room but it certainly happens oh i've lost a lot of sheet music due to them 
I bet. Because my uh, it, it's it's mainly I I will name names. It's my dad mainly. Uh, he's got more more percussion music than I've had hot dinners. So, you know, there's music all around the house, and he decides every now and then to tidy up. But unfortunately, that means he'll move my music as well. And then I go to practice something and I'm looking for it for 40 minutes. In that time, I could have actually been practicing it. You know, so there's uh, you're not alone. <laughs> I bet that's an, a real, real pain. And, and I guess, it's a, you know, in a way, that kind of represents earlier when we were talking about where music is. Right there on the page, mate, you just need to find it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just hope your dad hasn't hidden it in his drawer. Oh, God. Murray's dad, the cosmic music hider yes metaphysical level he just hides music from us doesn't he what's his purpose <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other bag of words we're not going to get into about purpose oh please way. i mean we'll we'll, if we, we'll circle let's purpose of let me have another whiskey first and then and then we'll get into it so murray i just wanted to ask you just quickly you know while i've got five minutes on what is the meaning of music what is the meaning of life really oh shut up um <laughs> you had enough this over I, the years, huh? <laughs> I, I i can i can give you the meaning the meaning of all i think the meaning of life i think there's there's a distinction that has to be made between the biological meaning of life and the sort of the spiritual meaning of life wow this is this is already very deep murray I, i'm interested what is your spiritual meaning of life well, my spiritual meaning on, of life is to try and and make at least another person's experience of life better. In my opinion, I think we are, you know, our brains are developed to such a level in comparison to the rest of the world, in the rest of the animal kingdom, that we, you know, we possess this this ability to have more mutual feeling than a lot of animals i'd argue pretty much any obviously i'm not the man to go to on biology i did get a d at gcse so um but i think because we have that mutual understanding there is almost a responsibility to to look after each other and i think that's the spiritual sort of thing because it comes with that sort of higher intelligence that we have in comparison to a lot of the animal kingdom Whereas I think for the kind of the, the purely physical nature of life, well, I think, you know, there's a few different ones floating around. But the one that ticks the most boxes for me is to procreate and to continue life. Right. Right. And I know I know there's there's probably you've got some ma- major, major counter arguments that are going to make me look stupid. But that's my one. So I've got I've got none. I think despite your your D at GCSE level, I think you've got a fairly decent understanding of, of async biology to, to say that we're smarter than, than most other animals. Um, I th- I'm sure Mr. Alcorn would argue in favour of the dolphins and whales, but, you know, he's not yes. here now. He's not here, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think just while, while we're on the topic, my, I'd have to say, you know, my meaning of life, probably drinking and thinking. That, uh, that. Uh, you see what I did there? Yeah, that, I did see that. Uh, I can agree with that to a level. Mainly just the drinking part, but, you know. So, Mario, we already kind of mentioned a bit earlier um, sort of the distinction between music and other forms of art. And I think sort of on, a, on like a, an ontological level, um, the difference between music and things like painting and drawing is that you can point to sunflowers by Van Gogh or the mm. trees, you know, you cannot 
like we already had a whole discussion about you cannot point to Bach or one probably could he's buried somewhere in, in Europe I'd assume but you, can't well, you, you need to ask Mr Hodgkin for that he'll tell you really is he one of those geezers who just knows oh he is he is Bach's number one fanboy he actually has a, a very good selfie of him next to Bach's grave on his phone which is a bit odd but you know each to their own yeah slightly morbid personally if I had an, an idol like that I wouldn't want to I mean, maybe I would want a photo next to their grave. It depends. Well, it's where they—it's where their physical body is. I mean, you know, right? I right. mean, if you if you idolise them like that, and you don't have the opportunity to talk to them or to to have any interaction with them, that's kind of the next best thing, really. It's as close as you're going to get to a, a modern day selfie with a celebrity, isn't it? Really, <laughs> selfie with their grave. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but to to bring it back to the music about. Compared to other arts, what do you think is is the difference there? Because I know that you know music is so much more widespread. You can go to any culture, I think, probably in the world, mm. and you will find music. Be it oh, undoubtedly, even if it's you know the most isolated tribe in the Amazon rainforest, they have music. Music is a very fundamental part of of nature and of of human nature, at least. And it becomes it comes before a lot of other art forms. Why do you think that is? I think of music. I mean, you look at a lot of what's happening in the industry today, you know, in terms of one man at a laptop is a very new thing. That hasn't been around. That's only been around for a few a few decades at most, uh, you know, in comparison to the rest of the time that humanity has been on Earth. I think a big part of why music is so big is up until very recently with the massive, you know, use of electronics and no need for people music was a communal thing and it still is for a lot of people it's fantastic because it brings cultures together you know you, you look at a wedding is the perfect example for me it's 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 the bringing together of two you know previously unrelated families and yet what is a big part of that and always is you know as the as the bride walks down the aisle generally you'll have an organ player and during the reception and, and during the, you know, the first dance and everything, there will be a band. And I think that communal aspect is so big with music. And as well as that, it's unifying as well in terms of, I mean, we're going we're gonna to go to jazz now because that's kind of the only thing I know anything about. And <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of it, a, lot, a big part, a big development of jazz came out of the harshest times in America you know, we're talking, you know, economic disparity, major problems in terms of civil rights, uh, black equality. You know, it was unifying because it was so communal in the sense that, you know, it didn't matter. You know, if you could play and you were a good musician and you had something to say, well, no one cared about your skin colour. No one cared about where you, how much money you had. If you could play and you, and you made people feel a good way, you were gonna, you were gonna be part of this band, and you were gonna go to these clubs, and you were gonna play to people, and people would come to these clubs because, you know, it's a great way of escaping all the problems. You know, you can be feeling a certain way, but if you put music on, it can really change the way you feel. I think more so than going to a gallery. I think going to a gallery is certainly brilliant and has its place, but I think if you if you need an instant lift, you know, that favorite song of yours that you've got on your phone whack it out and that can really make your day i think that's what's majorly different about mm -hmm. music for me 
Right. And, and you know, it, it, it all ties back in with everything that you've been saying sort of so far about emotion and the importance of emotion to music is that yeah. only not only does music sort of represent emotions very strongly, but also it can it can stir up and invoke different emotions in so many different people. And that, like you said, is kind of the point of the academic study of music is to learn the techniques we can use to do these things. I, I can definitely 100 percent agree with with what you said about sort of the uh, societal um, cultural role of music. It, it seems to act as, you know, almost a social glue. It's the one thing. Mm. Well, I mean, music and food, I think, are probably the only things that you could talk to any human on the planet about and have a decent conversation. Mm, absolutely. Both the same language, of course, but that's another topic. <laughs> I'm not here for linguistics. No, no, not today, at least. But, but that does kind of actually tie in interestingly to, to music. Um, there's a, a number of people who, who lose the capability to speak due to you know, head trauma or strokes or various other things like that, but can regain it if they use music. And I think this is particularly interesting from a, a neurological standpoint, is that music is so closely intertwined with, with language and with sort of the, the, the goings-on of the human brain that we can use it like that to, to help people recover their speech. And I think that says a lot about the importance of language on a more macroscopic level to society and to culture. Mm. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. I think music, you know, I think a big part of how it can help people to, you know, make those strides back to getting speech is how easily expressible emotions are through music in the same way that, you know, you can say, uh, I feel happy, I feel sad. Or, you know, you could play, and I know this is, you know, this seems a bit, bit dull, but you could play a minor and a major chord and you play them to each other and they'll tell you, ah, oh, happy sound, sad sound. And it's that fundamental, there are so many emotions in music that I think it's really good to help and I, obviously I'm not sure about how it works in terms of psychology and in the brain, but from what I can understand making an educated guess, you know, that the sort of emotional aspect of music, I can, I think has a lot to do with its role in terms of building people like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I can hundred percent sympathize with, uh, with all of that. Um, just to come back to your sort of, you know, we keep going on about, about the importance of emotion and how important emotion is in creating and using music. Do you, think, do you think that it's necessary to understand all of these um, emotions when you're creating music? Because surely, if you, you know, if you study the music to a sufficient level and you have a, a good enough understanding of the intricacies of the devices used, and you can understand mm. a certain chord played a certain way um, you know, and of course, this is very crude, but a certain chord played a certain way creates a certain emotion, you know, like minor to sad and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, yeah. it's a lot more complex than that. But if you had a sufficient understanding of that, would you even need emotion to create music? Could could music be done just by robots? Well, mm, right. OK, this is this is where we get into it. Uh, <laughs> in terms of the use of robots, I think the machine 
certainly has its place in music. I mean, you look at what happened. The 80s was obviously the rise of the machine for us as musicians. You know, we hate it generally because it meant that, you know, a lot of the studios lost a lot of money. Uh, you know, a lot of musicians were out of work. But, you know, that's another story for another time. But the use of, of the machine, generally, it still has that human input. Someone had to program the machine. So there is still that that element of humanity to it. But in terms of, mm, yeah. Yeah, there's a problem. Is it okay if the humanity in music is literally just the seed? Is that okay? Is that music to human ears? Well, you see, the thing is for me, and this is where I'm going to get stupidly pretentious, uh, so please forgive me for that. But I, I truly believe that listening to a saxophone or any wind instrument or, or brass or, you know, any sort of horn kind of thing, you have more humanity in it. And for me, you can instantly connect with, with the music more. I think that humanity plays such a part because, you know, the aspect of, you know, you breathe and you, you're, you're blowing through the horn. You know, you're, you're directly involved. You're part of the music in that aspect far less so than pressing a button on a computer you know there isn't that same level and i think for me and obviously i understand that a lot of people are perfectly happy to listen to to music that is purely machine made but for me it, it just the music speaks to me so much more if it's got that humanity to it right and right. then so that's my views on that but in terms of going back to can you create good music with just the technique I think there's a there's a very good there's a famous well not particularly famous but a well-known bass guitarist called Jeff Berlin, who's kind of the pioneer of electric bass kind of education, and he makes a very important distinction between craft and art. Right. When you're when you're sat down learning a scale or you're learning this chord sequence to this jazz standard or you're learning this this movement of a symphony you're learning the craft and you know there is no expectation that you should be able to put emotional kind of spins on the music you know make your leave your mark on it so to speak however when you take it into a performance and you add your own emotion that's when it becomes the art i think that's that's really spoke to me when i first saw that it was you know we have to make a distinction between craft and art here as well I think that's I think that's a, a really really important distinction that you that you've drawn out there, or that Jeff Berlin has has sort of come up with. And I, I agree entirely. It's not something that we um, explicitly spoke about last time with Amy, but I do think that even in the uh, more physical as opposed to audible arts, you know, it's the same sort of concept in that the craft is you know learning how to use certain brushes and tools to create different art in different mediums. Whereas the art is the actual creation of it and the emotion and the human side of it. So I think, I think your answer there was, was exactly really what I'd go with is that the craft, of course, can be done by anything, by a robot, hypothetically. Mm. But art requires something more. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that we uh, sort of uh, agree on that. Um, here's a question for you, right? There's lots and lots of 
lo-fi hip-hop on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's everywhere. I cannot get away from lo-fi hip-hop. And it's not always that girl doing her homework, nodding by the window, but it's always... That's the classic, lo-fi. though. That is, that is the classic, with her cat swinging it. But the lo-fi <laughs> hip-hop, it's inescapable. What is that? Is that, is that real music? Is it, you know... Of course, it's 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 music to a certain extent, but mm. it kind of um, it sort of harkens back uh, to something called um, Muzak. That's M U Z A K, which is sort of this generic kind of elevator music. It's the music they play in the background when you're in a, in a shopping center or in a in a store like that. It's that kind of just faint, vaguely nice tunes that are in the background that aren't really songs as such. What do you think about that kind of thing? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's in that kind of context isn't necessarily a new thing. There is a long history of music which was commissioned to be made as background music. Um, uh, I'm terribly sorry. I've completely forgotten the composer. Uh, it may have been Mozart, but you know, don't quote me on it. Made. Uh, a number of string quartet pieces which were made to be played as as music as background for drinks uh some kind of uh drinks receptions and if you listen to them on their own it's definitely not his finest work but it wasn't made to be his finest work i think that you know you can make the art with with a different intention as well you can make music to be light kind of royalty free background music for your youtube ad or you can make the mother of all symphonies to be played at carnegie hall by the new york phil to to you know thousands of people you know intention also plays a big part in the music as well and it can still have humanity even if it's not necessarily made for the most artistic purpose right is it in that case to you then just as much art i mean of course it it takes a similar amount of craft in that you're you're, you know, you you still need to understand the techniques you're using, but what about art? Does it equate to a similar level of art, or is it, as some people might argue, a lesser sort of form of the art form of music? I'd say it's more craft-driven, but there's still definitely artistic elements, because what you have to bear in mind is that you know we talk about the the role of emotion in music, but the whole point of these um, these background pieces. In, are either to make you feel nice and to make you go oh that's a nice little tune in the background or it's to you know put you at ease and to to let you to think about other things you know there is still that sort of intention of you know yeah that's kind of my point really right right and I, I can i can understand that from a from a musician's point of view that it is you know it's still just as much music of course uh, and there is a certain art to it but it, it is slightly less um less artful than something you'd um you know you'd hear like you say at carnegie hall it's i'd like to to equate it you know sort of to something that you see you know you see these sort of uh prints or drawings and things that you can buy at every store every sort of supermarket just to make your walls a bit less dull you know i bought some literally just the other day i bought some like prints that were literally just a couple of different shades of gray triangles in different orientations just to cover my wall and make it look a bit less less bland and to a certain extent that's kind of the equivalent of your 
lo-fi hip-hop beats that people just put on in the background to help drown out other noise and to to um sort of help concentrate to mm. whereas you know your your van gogh's equates effectively to your to your mozart's well maybe not his uh, his background music but his more <laughs> um sort of flamboyant and artful stuff would you would you agree with that yeah i'd agree with that i i sort of add and sort of say you know that there's still emotion involved but i think it is it is deliberate deliberately simple if that makes sense right right in a sense in terms of more yeah in the yeah so you know that when when whoever this composer let's let's say mozart for argument's sake wrote this background these background string quartets he was writing them with an emotion in mind but that emotion was to put was to was to create a nice atmosphere at a drinks reception it was to make people think oh this is nice it's very nice i'm going to have a conversation while this lovely music goes on in the background you know there is still that emotion yeah it's it's deliberately leaning into a certain way yeah yeah it's it's not something that that tugs at your ear and demands your attention but it certainly is emotional in a certain way Mm -hmm. so just before we sort of um round things off um why jazz why is it jazz that piques your interest in particular? I sound like a, a university interviewer here, but... What? I know. Sorry. I know. I should, I should be writing you a five and a half thousand word essay, but, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, you'll have to hear me for 30 seconds and that's the best you'll get. That's all no, right. No, I, I think, uh, well, for me, the improvised aspect, I think the difference between classical music is you're given a template in far more detail than a jazz jazz in terms of a classical tune you are told what notes to play and then it's how you phrase it and what you do to those notes that allows your expression whereas with jazz i mean from my point of view as a as a rhythm section player i will spend the vast majority of my time you know pretty much all of it because you know no one ever asks a bass player to play a melody because why would you it would sound horrible I spend all my time improvising because I'm making up my bass lines as I go. And for that, and also within the, the sort of improvised solo aspects as well, it allows for the most freedom of expression. If I have an idea and I want to say something musically, you know, if I'm feeling aggressive, I might play a really hard, hard hitting solo. Whereas if I'm playing uh, a bark cello, one of the bark cello suites on my double bass, you know, I can't necessarily express what I'm feeling to the same level of jazz. Right. So, so for you, it's about, it's about freedom, really. Yeah. That and, you know, jazz is just cool. Fair as enough. I, it, as I will tell anyone. It is very, very cool. I can, Thank I can, you. <laughs> I'm glad someone agrees with me. You're the first. Well, just before we uh, just before we round things off, um, I've asked uh, a number of my listeners to tell me what they think, or sorry, why they like to listen to music. Um, and I'm just going to have a couple of them uh, voice their opinions just now, anonymously. But their voices will be there just to let you know. And here they are. So I think people listen to music because it enhances the present moment. Like generally there's a song or some music that fits a place or mood. So if you can find it, then you generally feel better. 
I listen to music because I absolutely love to dance. I listen to music because it often adds a layer of depth to the way I'm already feeling. I'll frequently listen to music while studying to drown out ambient noise. Either to distract myself from the big sad or to experience a new emotion or feeling that the artist intended. I listen to music because I love that it just can fit every single vibe, whether you're on your own or with friends. You can listen to sad stuff and have a little cry, or you can listen to happy stuff or chill stuff, and there's just such a range, and it's like there's always going to be something that someone hasn't done. And those were all uh, very interesting, I think, Murray. Um, But just to sort of bring things back to the good old tradition that I've liked to think I've established so far... I'd like to ask you what you think philosophy is. Well, for me, oh, wow. Mm. This is this is the stuff that requires brains, you see. This is where I fall down. Uh, I think for me, philosophy is trying to answer the questions that we really know we can't answer. I think that a lot of the debates we have in philosophy end up in a well it could be this but we don't really know i think that deep down a lot of us and this is obviously extremely controversial but i think a lot of us have that element of i don't think we'll ever know this but let's debate it anyway right i can i can understand that but the question then comes at least for me what is the bloody point of it then (laughs) if you know if we're never going to reach an answer most people would ask why is the point of even beginning to debate well, it's not the destination; it's the journey, isn't it? You, you, you know, you through pursuit of a of an answer, you may find, you know, a sort of a way of how do I word this? Yeah, you may want to find a certain answer, but in the process, you may find a concrete answer to something you you didn't know before. You know, it can it can lead to a lot of things, but I think a lot of the big fundamental debates in philosophy. For me, I don't know that we will ever have an answer for. That's um, that's very artistic of you, Murray. <laughs> it certainly is. Very pretentious, just how I like it. Well, I'd like to say uh, thank you for coming along and sharing your possibly slightly pretentious, but all around very interesting views with me and my listeners. Well, thank you ever so much for having me. It's been a true pleasure. And it's been very nice to open up a bottle of whiskey, which was making good progress on. Yeah, you see, I've uh, I've been... Thankfully, uh, given some whiskey by uh, my girlfriend's dad, who I'd like to just plug now, Mr. Stephen Underwood. Thank you very much for the whiskey. It's very nice whiskey. Oh, <laughs> good good man. For this, but, um, and uh, thank you, of course, obviously, to all of our listeners for coming along. Hopefully there'll be another episode out soon. Uh, and if not, stay drinking, stay thinking. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.